But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his blood. Or are justified by his grace. As a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Today's message is called, Praise God, We Have No Room to Boast. Praise God, We Have No Room to Boast. And it's focused on these last two verses of what I just read. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul's at the very climax, the wave that breaks, as I've talked to you guys about before, from chapters one through three of bad news, this incredible great news breaks in Romans 3, 21 through 26. He's at the very top of the wave. If he was riding a surfboard, he'd be at the very highest point. He is explaining God's remedy for us in Christ, for our sin. And then he tells us this, what becomes of our boasting? He says it's excluded by the law or the principle. When you see that word law, you think of commandment. I'd like you to think of principles, like principles of physics, realities. By the reality of faith, that means we can't boast And I know, like, you're like, well, who's boasting? Like, who's coming in this room this morning? Like, I'm so great. We'll get to that. And I know that, you know, no one is coming in like, ooh, let's see, look at my car, you know. (laughs) Look at how much money I make. But we all do boast, and we'll see that. But what I want to bring to you today is from the text and from Romans. There's two reasons why we should not boast. And we'll explain how we boast. But that's the way I want to organize this, and I'll get to that. But two reasons why Paul's telling us not to boast. He's telling us not to boast. Why is he telling us not to boast? I want to give you two reasons. And the first reason we should not boast is because of the truth about us. The truth about us he's been talking about for three chapters. Paul's been saying a lot of sad things about the human race. And you know a lot of that if you've been with us over the last few months. In Romans 1, Paul affirms that we're created by a glorious creator. Every molecule of our bodies, every moment of our lives, every capacity of our minds, it's all created by a glorious creator. All of you, who you are, is being sustained by forces every moment 
completely outside of you that you didn't create to keep you going every second. From the day you're born to the day your body goes into the ground, you are a created being, dependent on a glorious creator. But what is, that's humbling, that's a reason not to boast, but what's even more humbling is that we have rejected this creator as a human race. That's what Paul talks about in these chapters. Our response to our creator has been one of refusal to honor him as our creator, to live under his authority as our creator, and essentially take the mantle of creator on ourselves, be our own rulers, be our own gods. This was the lie that our first parents believed in the Garden of Eden. The first thing that Satan sold to the human heart was, you can be like God, you don't need him. You can know right for wrong for yourself. You don't need to be dependent on God. And the human heart in its pride despised dependence and need and weakness before God. And even as believers, converted people who have come to repent of our sins and follow Christ, we still struggle all the time, don't we, with dependence and weakness? It's very hard for us sometimes to confess sins to one another that we know about. It's very hard for us to come to others for help concerning the same weaknesses again and again. We don't like to be weak. We don't like to be dependent. We want to be in control and we want to be in the right We want to be strong enough. We want to be moral enough. We want to be spiritual enough, smart enough in ourselves. But brothers and sisters, we were never created to be in in any ultimate way self-sufficient. We were never created to be self-sufficient, not physically, not emotionally, not spiritually. We were created to be everlastingly needy on another Which is another way of saying we were created to live in reality as it really is. It's not like God's like, I'm going to make some needy, weak people dependent on me. God had no choice in a sense. If he's going to create beings, he's the only source. He's the only uncaused caused. He's the only self-sustaining source for all things. And God hasn't hidden this from us. He called us to live in reality as reality really is. We are creature. He is creator. But in our hearts is sinful pride, a sense of self-sufficiency before God is repugnant to him, a sense of entitlement before God or demands we can make in our complaining or anger is a violation of his sovereignty and glory. A sense of our superiority over others is not only a lie, it's a disaster destroys ourselves, destroys relationships, destroys our relationship with God. And Paul spent three chapters going through the rubble of our pride and our our human tendency to despise the fact that we belong to a creator who knows more and better and has called us to live with him. But he's doing that to show us not that we're hopeless, but that we have no boast before God. And whether we know the Bible or not, we have fallen short, Paul says, of God's glorious call to live our lives as he has called us to. And and if you trace Paul's thought up to our passage today, when he talks about not boasting, it's interesting because what we need to not miss is that Paul's especially talking to religious people. 
when he says, where's our boasting? He's got, just got done talking about very religious people who think they don't need God's mercy. He's talking to people who go to houses of worship, people who practice religious duties, people who boast in their spiritual devotion. And they might say the right things, oh yes, I need God's mercy. But in their heart of hearts, they see themselves as spiritually sufficient. And he's explaining to them and to us that the laws of God, to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, these laws have not exonerated us, any of us, any of, any of us in this room, neither me nor you. His laws have actually left us condemned before his bar of justice. Our sin debt is very real and very steep before a holy creator. So there's no room for posting. To put it in Paul's terms, we cannot justify ourselves. Not before God. I'm not saying that people haven't done wrong to you or you haven't suffered greatly. But God has suffered greatly at the hands of human beings and their rejection of him and their sins against him. And before him, you and I cannot justify ourselves. We cannot justify our spiritual acceptance before God. We cannot offer our own righteousness as a reason why we should be under God's blessing. In other words, if you were to die today and stand before God, and God would say, what right, what justification do you have for eternal life, being with me and receiving all my blessings? None of us in this room would be able to say, well, look what I've done and look who I am. Look how I've suffered. Look what I've earned. It would not work with God. So Paul says, don't boast. Don't boast because of the truth about you. But here's the second reason why Paul says we should not boast. And it is a much happier reason. It is a great reason not to boast. I mean, it's no less true than the first reason. It's just a lot happier. The second reason we should not boast of the truth is because of the truth about how God saves us. Because of the truth about how God saves us. God rescue, God's rescue of us, leaves no room for boasting in us because God has done everything to justify us. God has done everything to rescue us. God has done everything to save us. If we ask the question again, how can a man or woman be justified morally before a moral God? How can we be considered justified to receive eternal life? How can we be justified in having God's just punishment taken away from us? If we've seen that, if we've really resonated with that, and we know that's an important question, if we seek peace and unity and blessing and eternal life from God as he looks at us and sees our real sin and says, what gives you the right to me and what gives you the right to what I have to give? Because brothers and sisters, this may be the furthest thing from your mind as you walk in here this morning. This question of God saying, what gives you the right to me 
What gives you the right to what I have to give? What gives you the right to my universe and my peace and my eternal life? It may be the last thing you're thinking about. You're thinking about work or school or your friends or your marriage. Or the world finals, the soccer game this morning. It might be the last thing you're thinking about. But it is the most important thing in the universe. It is the only crucial question for you. How can you be justified before God to receive his blessing and not his curse? How can you be justified before God to receive his kindness, his mercy, and not his judgment for your sin? That is the most important question there is for you no matter what else is going on in your life and my life. And what Paul has been telling us chapter after chapter is not only is there no way for us to justify ourselves before God, hey, I want you guys to listen up now. This is really important. Not only is there no way for us to justify ourselves before God, But he has solved that dilemma for us. He has found a way to justify us before him himself. He has given us a righteousness before his throne all by himself with no help and no contribution from us. None at all. And you need to understand this. As much as you need to understand the bad news and we've driven it home for months as we've gone through Romans, you need to understand. You, listen, you cannot survive with Romans 1 and 2 and halfway through 3 about the law of God and, and human depravity. You cannot survive. It's true. It's bad news. It's sad news. It's real, it's honest, it's God being real with us and it will destroy you and give you nothing if you stop there. You cannot survive with just that truth. You need this truth now. That God, because of your unrighteousness and because of his love, gives you a righteousness all by himself with no contribution from you, none at all, zero, nothing. Your justification before God for eternal life is all from God and not from you at all. This is health to your bones. If you don't have this, everything else is Band-Aid and, and like sterilizing sprays and creams on top of cancer. This is what you need. This is what I need. Your eternal salvation is all of God. Because, listen, once God declares you justified and righteous in his son, the floodgates of his spiritual blessings cannot be stopped for eternity. Once God says, you are justified, you are righteous in my sight because of Jesus, everything else comes with it and cannot be stopped ever, 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 ever. Adoption, strength of his spirit, ongoing forgiveness, cleansing again and again, the discipline you need to pull you back when you're running into the four-lane highway of sin and he just, he just never lets you go, ever. Once you, once you get this point, once you see this, once this becomes real in your life through his Holy Spirit. 
In his commentary on Romans, James Boyce lays out this literal diagram of what he thinks salvation should be diagrammed of. It's, it's a literal attempt to diagram with a triangle uh, the truths in Romans 3, 21 through 26. I want to put it up. There it is, there it is. Okay, so this is essentially a diagram of Romans 3, 21 through 26, which, by the way, as an aside, I'll go to the side here. If you were going to memorize one passage of Scripture for the rest of your life and you could only choose one, I don't think you could do better than Romans 3, 21 through 26. In fact, I'd add uh, 20 and 19 in there too. So I, I'm not gonna go into the whole thing right now, but I just wanna put this on your radar. If there's one passage of scripture for your whole life to memorize and to really, to really internalize and understand the truths of, I don't believe you can do better. And there's a ton of people who are really smart and really love Jesus and have studied his word for a long time who would say the same thing. I don't think there's a better passage you can do than Romans 19, Romans 3, 19 through 26. So file that off for another day. Get it tattooed on your arm if you're into tattoos. <laughs> Get one of those people who paint like on walls. They do those beautiful, like you walk into a house, live, laugh, love. It's like someone stenciled it on a wall. Get Romans 19, 3, 19 through 26 stenciled onto your wall if you're into stenciling. Sorry if I'm not making fun of people who do the stenciling. It's great. It's your thing. Okay, backing up. Now, this is the diagram of Romans 3, uh, 21 through 26, uh, tried to brought down by James Boyce. So what I want you to pay attention to as we look at this and go over this just in a couple of minutes is I want you to pay attention to who works, who acts, who performs, and who doesn't. Okay? Just follow me here. Who's doing this stuff and who's not doing any stuff? Look at the side of the triangle on the left where it says propitiation. Can you guys see that? Propitiation, see that word? This is the most important side in, in one sense, okay? This is where everything starts. This is the engine room of the whole triangle. Everything flows from this side, propitiation. Propitiation means that Jesus Christ offers himself to God the Father as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And he removes God's wrath from sinners as Jesus receives the punishment for their sin. That's what propitiation means. Jesus offers himself as an atoning sacrifice for sin, removing God's wrath from sinners as he receives the punishment those sinners deserve. That's propitiation, complicated word, but it's an idea that if you're a believer and you've been here long enough, you, you understand. And listen, look, 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 look. It all occurs between Christ and the Father. Just between the Father and the Son. That's where that occurs. But what does it mean for us? Okay, look at the bottom line of the triangle, the one that says redemption. So Jesus, having become our propitiating sacrifice, our atoning sacrifice, he thus redeems us. He buys us back, so to speak. He buys us back from the judgment of God, from his own judgment. This is redemption. We are purchased or freed from the penalty of eternal death under God's judgment. This is what Jesus does to us because of what he did with his father. The result of all this, that left side and that bottom side, is the right side of the triangle. Since God has satisfied God's justice, on your behalf, 
The father, he sits down at his judge's bench in his holy courtroom with his judge's robes on. He sees his son for you in your place and he looks you in the eye and he takes his gavel down and he pronounces before the whole universe about you, righteous, not guilty, blameless, justified, justified, justified to be in my sight, justified to have my love and my forgiveness, justified to have me be your father forever, justified to have me keep you for eternal life forever. Remember our shorthand for justified in previous messages. Justified means just as if I had never sinned. Justified means just as if I'd always obeyed. All of this is won by Jesus. All of this is won by Jesus. Now notice what you do in the diagram. If, if that's you over here, the Christian. Notice what you do. What do you do? What did you do? You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You did nothing. You simply receive. You simply receive redemption and justification because of propitiation. You simply receive. And this brings us to our part in justification. We don't do anything except accept it. We don't do anything except believe it. Thank God for it. This is what faith is. Simply believing what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We believe it for ourselves. We believe what he says. Faith is trusting that what God says he has done through Jesus for us, for you, and what he says about you because of that is true. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. Taking God at his word for you. This is why Paul says all boasting is excluded. Verses 27 through 28. This is why he's saying this. All boasting is excluded. Why? By our works, no, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We cannot boast in ourselves before God because he is the one who's done the work to save us. Because he is the one who declares us righteous, not by anything in us, but by his son's blood and by our believing what he has done for us. And this statement that boasting is excluded, boasting is excluded, is so important because it helps define faith for us. Listen, listen, listen. For the rest of your lives, if you're going to be a serious follower of Jesus Christ and really want to walk with him, you're going to have to understand that faith is so crucial. Faith is the connection, the foundation between you and God for everything good that's going to come into your life and that does come into your life. Faith is how we receive justification and everything else that comes with salvation. So Paul is going to spend the the rest of chapter 4 defining what faith is and what it isn't because people disagree and argue about what faith is. And if you're not careful understanding faith, you'll turn faith into a work. And it'll be awful. There's all kinds of ways we can mess up faith. And so Paul's going to take a whole chapter to sculpt it out. Make sure we know what it is and what it isn't. 
But the first way that he frames justifying faith is this way. He says it excludes boasting. You can't boast about it. If you want to know what faith is, it's something you can't boast in. This tells us faith is not a work we do. It's not us committing to God. It's not us giving all we have to God, giving our lives to God. That comes after faith, but that's not what he's talking about here. Because we could boast, look how much I've given God. Look how hard I have thrown my lot in with the Lord. No, faith does not earn. It is not a work. It isn't some great thing that God looks at and says, oh, look at that amazing faith, how great they are. I owe them salvation. They've earned it with me. No, that's not faith. Charles Spurgeon says faith this way. Faith is simply the hand that takes. This is life. This is water in the desert, brothers and sisters. Faith is simply the hand that takes. When the beggar receives alms, and if you're too young to know what alms means, it means money or some gift. When the beggar receives alms, he does not bless the hand that takes. He doesn't look at his hand and says, oh, look at this mighty hand that's reaching out for this $10 bill. No, he blesses the hand that gives. Therefore, we do not praise the faith that receives, but the God who gives. Our faith may be strong, our faith may be weak, but what matters is not how strong our faith is or how weak our faith is, but how faithful Jesus is, how faithful the Father is, how faithful the Holy Spirit is. Tim Keller says it this way. This is a beautiful quote. If you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Did you get that? Take a second to look at that and think about it. If you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith, on the strength of that branch. Listen, this should be really freeing for us. Like today, it should be freeing for us. If you're sitting here thinking, Theology 101, Somebody's failed. <laughs> it's not the Holy Spirit, but it's me or you. I mean, if you're thinking Theology 101, this is so boring. <laughs> not, not Theology 101, this is foundational. That's fine. But if you're thinking like, yawn, yes, faith. And I'm scared that that's where you are because I think that's how a message like this can hit you. But try to follow me here. This, this, this should be freeing for us. Because do you know what this means? Let's think about this command to not boast. Let's think about this command to not boast. Like I said, mo none of us are walking in here this morning. We all know that like literal, ex like explicit boasting doesn't get us anywhere really. Unless we're just kidding around. Like we know that's like not going to fly. But what does it mean to boast? Like if we, if we just like simplify it, what does it mean to boast? What you boast in is what you put your hope in. What you boast in is what you put your trust in. And what we put our hope in, our trust in, what we glory in and depend on, it, we, it, so often it's ourselves and our circumstances. I mean, and, and this happens whether we're happy or we're sad. Like, Boasting doesn't always mean 
Like, oh, it's gonna be great. No, no, follow me here for a second. If we have a job interview, we might put our hope, where are we gonna put our hope if we have a job interview? If we're not thinking spiritually, we're gonna put our hope in our references or our degrees, where we went to college or how we did in high school, or we're gonna put our hope in our experience. If those things are solid, if they seem commendable to us, if they seem like there's something we could boast in, a hope in, then we're gonna feel really good at that job interview. If they're poor, if our grades were bad or our experiences were bad, we got fired a lot, and we can't really boast in that, we're gonna be anxious, we're gonna be nervous. But no matter which way we feel, that's where our hope is. And either our hope is strong or our hope is really just sad and bad because of, there's not a lot to hope in there. But that's where we're putting our hope. And, and I would say in Paul's language, there's a real parallel here. That's where we're boasting. That's where we're going to hope in, hope, boast in. If we're with family and we're hoping they will love us, we might put our hope in our past treatment of them. If someone was to say, why should I be nice to you at our Thanksgiving dinner? You and your mind will go through the Rolex and say, I've been nice to you for 10 years. You're a hard person to live with. Of course you should be nice to me. You might say, that's a boast inside your heart. You should treat me with respect because look how I've suffered living with you. That's a boast, so to speak. That's where you're putting your hope in. You're justifying your hope that they're going to respect you because of how you've lived. Or if you're on a date and you're hoping that person you're on a date or you're attracted to will be attracted to you, you might put your hope in your attractiveness. You might say, oh man, I have really worn a nice shirt or my mom thinks I'm handsome or I've lost this weight. You know, you might put your hope in those kind of categories like to think, where am I going to find my boast before this person? How can I say I should justify this person's attraction to me? You'll go to those places. If your kid's sick, your hope might be in your doctor or your, new, your unique understanding of their issues. And see, all that stuff can be ha- make you happy or sad, right? But that's where our, our boast is. That's where our hope is. And listen, all these situations, I'm not trying to pick on you about how you might respond to these situations, job interview, a date with family, your kid's sick. Most of these things are reasonable things to consider on some degree. Like God's not begrudging you going to a job interview and saying, well, I hope the fact that I've really worked hard for the past 15 years is gonna help me with this job. He's not like, don't hope you, no, that's not what God is saying. Don't put your hope in that, you're boasting the wrong thing. But, but listen, They do define some level of our peace. And and, and I believe what God wants in all these things I've laid out there and and matters that are much more serious, what what God wants to matter more to you, infinitely more to you, in, in even all these situations I talked about, what he wants to be the controlling thing, the thing that makes you okay, like I thought of another message. Maybe I'll do in another message chapter four. This, that would be a good title for this message, but maybe it'll come in the weeks to come. But what makes you okay in those places? When you feel ashamed before people or fearful of what they might think of you or you feel really worried in a, in a crisis financially, like what is it that makes you okay? When you're in a terrible fight with your spouse and you just walk away and you don't know what to do to collect yourself or to keep sane. Like, what's going to make you okay in those moments? Where are you going to go? And I'm here to tell you 
that this passage, that your justification before God should matter in those moments. It should matter. Deep, deep, deep down inside, where you live at the very core of who you are, your justification before God should be what makes you okay. Not not necessarily going to make you happy. Woohoo! My kids got diabetes. That's crazy. I'm not saying that. But what's going to make you okay? What are you going to keep coming back to again and again that's going to get you through that divorce, diabetes? And what, what may not like make us happy-go-lucky and dancing in the streets, but what really should make us okay at the very core of who we are, that we can get through it, is that we stand justified before a righteous God in his sight and he is not going to stop doing good to us because of that. Do you get that? If you don't get it, just be like, I don't get that. Just raise your hand. Everybody close your eyes and raise your hand. I just really want to know that you get this because I need to get this so much. We all do. This is the most crucial issue in our life. Wherever we are, whatever situation is, the most crucial situation or the most crucial question is, what is your standing before God? Because that tells us whether we can know if he is for us, whether we can know that we have his help, whether we can know we're forgiven and we're his children. This is what hangs on whether we stand before him as justified, as righteous in his sight. That's what it all means. And you might be a person who's very melancholy and depressed a lot. And you might be a person who has a great, solid, strong temperament and barely feels down. It doesn't matter compared to this question. This needs to be at the core what makes you okay at the end of the day. Through all of your suffering or your great disposition, it's this. What is God going to do with you? And when it comes to this matter, brothers and sisters, our justification before God, who we are to him, what he's going to do with us, this is what God says this morning to you and to me. Don't you dare hope in yourself to answer that question. Don't you dare put your hope in yourself to answer the question of how I view you and you're standing before me. It won't work. It won't make either of us happy. There's one place to put your hope. There's one place to put your boast when it comes to the crucial question of who you are before God, how he views you and what he's gonna do with you. It's him. It's his mercy It's his love. It's his son's blood. He is your righteousness. Not your quiet times or your devotional life. Not your sexual purity or your sexual failures. Not your work ethic. Not your alcoholism or your sobriety. Not your hatred of racism. Not your giving to the poor. 
not how good looking you are or whether you went to college, not how big your church is. None of that. Don't hope, don't boast in any of that. No, God says, boast in me. That I've been faithful and will be faithful to you in my son. The more we do this, in everything, in our kids' sicknesses, in our marital strife, in our heated arguments with family members, the more we keep coming back to this, I am okay and I will continue to be okay eternally because I've been justified by his son. The more you kids in classrooms with cruel kids, and kids can be so cruel outwardly, explicitly, and you're going back to school, we're gonna, saw my email, we're gonna pray for you next week, Lord willing, when there's gonna be some more people here, kids and teachers that are in our congregation. But you're gonna go back to school and kids are gonna be awful to you, and you're gonna be tempted to be awful to kids. And everyone's gonna judge you by whether you look great or whether you don't look great. And these are some of the most awkward years of your life. And some of these people are just going to be merciless. And I want you to know that in those moments, I don't want you to turn to whether or not you're good looking enough or whether your clothes are good enough or whether you have a, a good grades enough. I want you to be able to, and I can't make you do this, but I just want this for you. I want you to say, I am okay because I am okay before the throne of God. I am justified and I don't have to boast in anything else but the fact that God is for me. And he is not giving up on me. And he has declared me righteous in his sight forever by the blood of his son. And I think to the degree that I can, we can as a church internalize this truth and start to see it affect these situations I talked about today. To that, to that degree, I think we can see some sign of God's fruit and work here. Paul said in Galatians, he said, may I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ through which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. What in the world did he mean? That sounds really lofty. What is he talking about? May I boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ through which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. What did he mean? I think he meant at least this. I think he meant more than this, but he meant at least this at the core. Paul was awesome at religion. For his culture, like his, his people group, he was awesome at life. Like for who he was in his context, he had a Harvard degree. He was an executive at Google. He was uh, chairman of the Red Cross. He was uh, CEO of Habitat for Humanity. He was on all the right boards, had all the right degrees, and, he, and it wasn't a joke. It wasn't superficial. It was a re, he, he, had a, he was a man of substance in the world. He worked hard. He studied hard. He served hard. And he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus showed him the reality of what, is hard, what was really driving all that hard work and what he really put his hope in. And it was himself and his religion and Jesus showed him how at the core there was so much selfishness in him. And Paul couldn't get rid of it. 
Because we can't change our motivations, our hearts for doing these things. It was all for Paul. It was all for Paul. And even if it was, to whatever degree it was for the Lord, it was tainted with Paul. It just, it, it didn't meet the bar of God's law of love. To love him with all his heart, mind, soul, and truth, to love his neighbors as himself. So, so what did Paul do when he met Jesus Christ and God showed him this? And God said, Paul, there's another way. All your hard work, all your degrees, all your serving, and it's all Paul, it's all Paul. There's another way. Just put your hope in my son. You're a sinner. You, there's sin that coats so much of what you do. I'm just asking you not to be perfect now. I'm asking you to shift your hope, shift your boast to my son and his righteousness, who he is for you. Stop trying to earn it. Rest in what my son has done. Because you got no boast before me. <laughs> and you know what Paul said about his degrees and his committees and his chairmanships and the Red Cross and Harvard degree and Google chairman? He just said it's rubbish to me now compared to, to what God's given me in himself. It's, it's rubbish. So much of it has been chains to me and burdens. And it's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. He's so much better. He literally says that, and he says, whatever was a gain to me before, my former mindset, it's garbage to me now, compared to Jesus, compared to knowing Jesus. It's all second. My boast is Christ. My boast is Christ. May that be true for us as well, brothers and sisters, more and more and more and more. Let me pray. Lord, may our boast be you. May you give us grace to to hope in you and not who we are, what we've done. Please, God, please. Help us to rest in the righteousness we have in Jesus Christ. And because of that, Lord, whether we're sad or happy, to know deep in our hearts, this is how we're okay before you and everyone in the universe forever. We're okay because of Jesus Christ and in him. We stand righteous before you, accepted, beloved. In his name we pray, amen.